Hello, hello. My name is Michael, and I welcome you to What's Your Career, where careers are examined one at a time. Today, Mitchell Soto joins us. Mitchell is a young software developer slash consultant. Mitchell loves learning and is naturally curious, which led him to want to figure out how computers and websites function. Since first getting interested in development, Mitchell has worked on many projects and in many aspects of coding, including building front ends and back ends of websites, Chrome extensions, and apps. He describes the modern, forward thinking atmosphere that exists in tech, which supports work life balance and professional growth and advancement. He is proud to be in the fastest growing industry and is excited to gain more technical expertise as well as business exposure so that one day he can work for himself. With that, Let's go to the interview. Mitchell Soto, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. So, Mitchell, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, name's Mitchell Soto. I grew up a military brat, moved around a lot my whole life. And in college, I took a coding course. And what, now six years later, I'm software developer and enjoying enjoying my job and life awesome so that's your that's your job title software developer it's software consultant but i do software development all day every day okay all right we'll dig into those details in a bit awesome and how long have you been with that current job title yeah um so i've been with my company pari beta solutions for around a year um, I just finished up a master's degree of information systems and got a job with them right out of school and I'm loving it. Okay. All right. So you got a bachelor's and a master's degree in information systems? Yes. Awesome. Yes. I did a five-year program where you do the bachelor's and the master's all in one bang and um, glad I did it. It's led to good opportunities. Sweet. Good for you, man. Good for you. Awesome to hear. So how uh, how would you rate your job function, uh, what you do from 1 to 10? 10 being it's the dream job. I'd say an 8 probably. Um, I, I think the only thing that could make it much better is if I was choosing exactly what I did. <laughs> if I was my own boss. It's kind of the dream. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe one day, right? But you're, someday, you know, it sounds like you're not there yet, but maybe you could be. So you're on the right track, at least, which is good. And then how how happy are you from one to ten? With my job? Yeah, with your job, like in your in your career path, uh, the people you work with, the company you're with, the culture, kind of merging all of that together. How would you rate your happiness with your professional experience? Yeah, um, probably about the same, maybe a seven. Um, it's it's a great place to be, very friendly people, good work hours, great pay. And I get to work remote right now, so it's been nice to be home with the family. Well, that's good. So what, what, would, what would boost that up a little bit? How would you get up to an eight or nine or even a 10 on the happiness scale? Um, I think that being being my own boss thing is is on my mind a lot. I've I've actually been doing software development um, in different jobs for the past five years now, and uh, when you get into software development, you immediately start noticing places that could improve or 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 opportunities that you could make things better, uh, because the world runs on computers. 
So um, always thinking of new ideas and um, I'm really happy with my job and hopefully someday I'll, I'll be working for myself as well. Okay. All right. Well, I want to learn more about your job because, you know, it's probably the hottest job out there right now to be in the tech industry and specifically in coding or software development. And those words get thrown around a lot. Everybody says, oh yeah, I'm in tech or I, I write code or I'm a computer science guy. But only those people that are really in that industry actually know what you're talking about. I mean, everybody has an idea of what <laughs> goes on and you write code with the little, you know, the little carrots on both sides, the close brackets and open brackets, and you, <laughs> you tell things to do certain things. But, you know, tell somebody like me who's not in tech what actually happens in your job, you know, eight hours a day or however long you work, what do you, are you actually just typing code all day long or what does that look like? Yeah. Um, it depends on the day. It depends on the, the job you have. My specific job is a software consultant. We go and help different companies build software that they can't or help them fix software that they're, they're having trouble with or basically help their, their dreams come true, bring them to life in the digital world. Um, so a part of my job is interacting with different companies, talking to them about their needs, and um, then building something for them. So day-to-day uh, -day right now, most of the time I'm doing software development, which means I open up my computer, I open up a program to write code in, and then I am making a website right now. We're making a, a platform where all the data from a certain company is visible to everyone else and they can access it, download it, and um, basically just share the cool things they're doing with data. So my day is wake up, go to work. It's pretty flexible. As long as your team agrees with it, you can go to work anytime between... 6 and 10 a.m. I go at 8. Um, and the first thing we do, my team, I love this this part of my team, is we we get together on a call and we just talk. We get into the, the rhythm of work and we will um, eventually get into conversations about the problems we had the day before while coding. But then you get into coding, you solve the problems, and you have a website up the whole time. And as you are making changes in your code and, and writing new lines of code, you watch a website change. And it's really satisfying to see that you've done something right or wrong. There's immediate feedback right there. And, and I think that's a big part of the reason why people love web development in particular is, you know, instantaneously did what I just did work. <laughs> Right. And, uh, you can see the results in front of you. Yep. Yeah. It's honestly like solving a puzzle. You have something you need to do. You try something and you know for sure if it worked or not. Yeah. Hey, yeah. let me let me kind of take a step back. So you say software development. When you say the word software, I think of like a program that you download, like Adobe Illustrator, right? A piece of software that you buy a package and you download it, and there's all these different functions that you can use. But you've been talking about developing a website. Now, is that yep. kind of the same thing? Are those 
different? Is a web developer, a software developer, are those interchangeable? Or kind of define that boundary for me. Yeah, that really depends on opinion. Um, your typical software developer, I guess, would not be building websites necessarily. Um, and a web developer, typically people who say they're web developers build only websites, but they, they always dabble in something else, I, I would venture to say. Um, the big split there is if you're working on um, like the actual web page where you see changes and it's what a user would see when they go to your web page, that's called front-end development. Yep. And it, that's not as much, I guess, software development. Y your website is a piece of software, so I mean, some people would say it is. But I, I see that more as web development, whereas there's another piece called the back end. And that's something that nobody ever sees. It's where all the data goes to and from different places. And if you want to connect to different websites, you do it in the back end. And that is more what people would describe as software development, I would say, because you're solving the logical problems that people can't see with computers. Okay. So the back end development of websites could you know, under your definition, be called software development. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's more or less what you do primarily yes. is you're working on website development, but not on the user interface so much, more so on the on the on the data. Yeah. So here's where it gets uh fuzzy. There's another term called full stack developer. And that's someone who works on both. And pretty much everyone at my company is is a generalist in that way. Uh, you have to pick up new projects and new um, work with new clients, and they always have different requirements. And so you have to learn a lot of different programming languages, and you have to kind of be able to adapt to the situation. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, because of that, sometimes you're building websites, sometimes you're building infrastructure, sometimes you're building software. It really depends on the client. Yeah. Yeah. I want to jump into that consulting role more here in a few minutes because that I'm a consultant as well in my career. And so I, I have an idea of what consulting is like. And I want to understand what consulting looks like for you guys in the tech industry. But before we do that, I still want to stick around, you know, the definitions and the, the, the workload that defines a software developer. Um, so you said there's full stack developers, which is a term I've heard a lot. And, and that means people are working on front end and back end website development. They know how to do the, the user interface um, as well as just make all the website stuff work and mm -hmm. all, you know, bring in all the data and whatnot. Um, what other terms are there? I, there's UX designer. Is that mostly, that stands for user interface right? And that's mostly front end website development. Is that correct? Yeah. So anytime it says designer, I would not expect the person to code at all. Oh, okay. But if it's UX developer, then I would think they're a front end developer, just another name for a front end developer. Okay. So would you also call yourself a website developer or do you prefer uh, software 
engineer or, or yeah how would you <laughs> how would you define yeah. yourself all of it's, the above it's a good question and you'll see on on um applications for jobs i i don't know that recruiters uh, really know the difference either so it's used pretty interchangeably nowadays i would consider myself a software developer a web developer i don't say engineer as much because i feel like it is more i, I guess old old terms that uh, don't get used as much anymore because hmm. everyone who builds software nowadays wants it on the web. That's just where software has gone. Okay, very interesting. Uh, those are all things that you know get tossed around a lot, but you just you don't know unless you know. And I didn't until now. So those are those are good things to sort <laughs> out for me. Thank you for that. All right, so let's let's jump back to your job a little bit. So when you have a client, when you have a job that you're working on. You'll spend all day building a website and seeing it grow as you're typing up the code. What what else does your day look like? Yeah, so it's a very collaborative effort, um, assuming you have a team. You are on Slack, which is a communication tool for, for chatting. And you chat back and forth all day with people asking questions about problems you're running into. Um, hopping on calls, video calls to share your screen, because sometimes you just need a second pair of eyes to look at the problem that you can't solve. And sometimes it's a, a really silly problem that you just, you made a really simple mistake, like you typed in the wrong character or something like that. Sure. Um, there is a really, really strong integration uh, in the software world, the tech world with something called agile development. And really it's just a way to work. And a brief description is you get tasks to do every two weeks. And for two weeks, you try and knock out those tasks. And every day you report on those tasks at a meeting called standup. And it's called standup because you're, you're supposed to stand up and give a really quick update and then leave. Um, but most of the software development world uses agile development where you work in two week sprints is what they're called. And um, so, yeah, the whole goal is before two weeks from now, let's finish our tasks. Let's work together. Let's get these key pieces of functionality done. And it's, it's like a very collaborative puzzle that you're trying to solve with people. Um, you have huh. your daily standups and you have a lot of communication. So how do you divvy up work within your team? So let's just make a real simplistic example. You win some work from a client. Uh, you know, they have a month for you to get things done and it's going to take seven or eight or nine people to get it done. How do you divvy it up? I mean, a real simple way of thinking about it is, okay, you take the about me page and you take the home page and you take the blog page and you divvy it up that way. But I'm sure it's, it, it doesn't work that way. How do you actually collaboratively work on something, but yet divvy it up? Yeah. I'm going to answer this in, in two ways. Um, the first way is regarding my current job. Um, my current job the the whole purpose of the company is to build their employees. It's a very unique job where I actually I, I felt this. I I believe that their whole goal is to build me into the the best 
consultant I can be. So there's technical trainings, there's business trainings. And when I have something I want to learn or want to do, they prioritize me getting that type of work. So on this project right now, I have another another person from my company I'm working with. And whenever we have tasks to do, we will go through and it, like mentally design everything and draw out diagrams if we need to. And we will know what work needs to be done or, or what needs to be researched. And then we'll say, hey, um, do any of these fit with your goals? Like, do any of these help you accomplish your, your career development plan for the company? And if they do, then we typically give those pieces of work to those people. Um, if you're interested in back end or you want to stay on front end, then you just mention that and you get the work basically, un- unless there's um, a deadline and, and someone maybe better at it needs to do it. So that's how my company works. Um, how many people will you put on a particular job? You know, a range, I guess. Yeah, I've been on three projects so far. And on one job, there were seven of us. On another one, there were three of us. On this current job, there were four, and now there's two because um, there wasn't enough funding to keep the other two. And so there's a lot of a lot of variation, but I mostly see teams of like three to five. Okay. Yeah. And, okay, um, so it's not too chaotic. You're not spread out so no. thin that that it's hard to, <laughs> I guess, put yeah. anything together and make it work seamlessly. But there's help. It's not you and the client all by yourself. There are those circumstances, but they're few and far between. Okay. Okay. So now, yeah, answer the question in the in the other way that you were going to say. Yeah. In other companies, you're going to get hired as a certain type of developer. You will have applied for a front-end developer position or a back-end developer position or a full-stack one. And based on that, that will determine what type of work you do. Are you going to work just on the website? Are you going to work on connecting to other websites? Um, Things like that. Um, That being said, I've had seven different software developer jobs now over the past five years. And in any of the jobs, if I have a good idea or I have a competency that they didn't know about, I can suggest something that I think will will help the company and they'll say, oh, that's cool. Let's let's talk about that. And so I've moved from a front-end developer position into a back-end developer position because I asked. Um, there, there's, there's so much opportunity to learn what you want to learn in the tech world. That's great. Yeah, so it sounds cool. like, you know, industry-wide, you know, the industry is growing so quickly uh, and you know way more about that than I do, but sounds like you just need people to learn stuff every day. And it sounds like the industry is open to the idea of you learning what you want to learn and becoming an expert at what you want to become an expert in, which is awesome. That's great. Yeah. It's good culture. It's, it's a great culture. And I mean, to continue on about the culture, unless you're at a startup, and some startups even respect your time quite a bit too, but most companies won't let you work past 45 hours. You're going to find that most people are taking 40 hours and and that's it. Um, 
they really treat you well in the tech world. They pay you well. They respect your hours. And like you said, they just need people to learn. So honestly, at my position, if I wanted to do more with machine learning, I could take three months of online learning courses and I could probably shift into that kind of a position as a junior level person. Um, I did study a little bit of that in my degree, but I, I think most people could learn the things they want to learn in like three to nine months and get a decent paying job as a junior level developer. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many opportunities to do that, right? There's certifications through Google and there's boot camps left and right yep. um, that you can sign up for. Some of them seem to be like 12 week crash courses and others are like evenings for a year or six months or something like that. Yeah. But it seems like it's a pretty, you know, foundational heavy skill set that you need. But that from there, once you've got that bug and you've learned the basics and you're you're interested in learning how to grow, you can just figure it out. You can learn by yourself. You can take other classes, certificates, and and be what you want to become once you've kind of got the foundation established in that industry. Absolutely. There there's a wealth of knowledge out there. And you're really never doing it alone. You have you have teachers, mentors, friends. When you get stuck, there's there's plenty of places to go, but I, I think anyone really could do it. And in a short amount of time, if they have the time to give, um, the hard part is it is a learning curve. It's like learning a different language. Um, you just have to learn to th to think in a different way, and and you will, you will. It just takes time. Yeah. So here's one thing that's going through my mind as you describe this. You go into work, and if you have work to do, if you've got a client, a project, whatever, you'll just sit there and hammer it out. You'll you'll literally just type it out, and you'll stumble, and you'll research things, figure out how to fix it. You'll position things, and you know, look at the design end of it, and switch things up. I, you know, I don't know a whole lot more than that, but it sounds like it could get kind of repetitive if if you do job after job after job where you're just developing a website developing a website does it does it not get repetitive is there a lot of variation um you know kind of go into some detail about that for me yeah i i guess it gets about as repetitive as writing would with a pencil <laughs> writing you know the letters to write you know how to write them it's the same thing over and over but you create a beautiful story with your writing, right? It can be a different writing every time. That's yeah. kind of like coding. You're doing a lot of the same things. You learn the basic structure. You do it over and over, but the problems are different every single time. In I, I've been using the same coding techniques. Obviously, they get refined over time, but since I started five years ago, the foundations never change. But my jobs, I've built a video game for family history that I got to present at, at Roots Tech, if you know what that is. I yeah. built a hiring site for a college. I built a Chrome extension, like a browser extension yeah. that would automate the the work of a, a quality assurance team at a car university. And now I'm, I'm building a data platform 
And there's so many other things that you can use coding for. It's it's always the same tool, but the problems are so varied that it's rare that it gets dull. There there are days where you're tired of working on a certain problem if you've been stuck on it for a while. But I've found that that's more of a how you structure the project problem. If you structure it in small sprints where you've got small tasks to get done, it's incredibly fulfilling to see the progress you make. Huh. Yeah, that I mean that's that's every job, right? If you if you can break out a big task into small things that need to get done and you've got little wins every day or every few hours or every week, you know, that that keeps you motivated. That keeps you moving forward. And uh it's great that you're able to do that in this industry where yeah, I could imagine getting stuck and banging my head against a wall for three days and, <laughs> you know, not wanting to come back to it. There, there um, are those days. I'm sure um, there are. <laughs> you find how to to limit them for sure. Yeah. So I'd like, I'd like for you to somehow get into a little bit more technicality of maybe making the Chrome extension that you talked about or describe everything that you had to do and why it took so long or how long did it take? And I don't know. I'd love to hear a little bit more detail on the technical side of what your job actually is other than the broad words of coding and, and, you know, writing out characters all day long. Yeah. So, um, I've, I've got too many things I'd love to share. (laughs) I'll limit it. Good. Um, I think Chrome extensions is a good place to start because it's something people understand. It is a little bundle of code that will change the web page you're on. It will do something for you. So if anyone has the Honey app, that oh, yeah. when you go to like Amazon.com and it will show you discount codes, well, that's its purpose. <laughs> um, I once made a Chrome extension for studying languages. I, I, uh, my church has a website that has probably like 70 different languages on it of the Bible, um, uh, other books of scripture, like historical documents, and you can read it in any language you want. And I just made an extension that would let me choose up to four languages, see them side by side. And as I was scrolling through one page, it would keep it in sync on the other three pages so that I could study a language I wanted. Um, extensions for browsers are cool because if there's something about a web page you don't like, you just change it. And um, it, it sounds crazy. It sounds pretty cool, but it's it's incredibly simple for for those that start trying it and start getting into that space. Okay. That yeah, that's that's neat. I can we use that example? The your your four different language yeah. example? Okay. So if I were going to start to build that myself, the first thing I would need to do is open up what? Uh, some sort of you know software or coding program, right? C sharp or JavaScript or one of those, I assume. You would need a language, yeah. I'm happy to go into some more details if you like. Okay, so I'd open up. Uh, let's just let's just walk through this. I'm a real dummy when it comes to these things, and that's what <laughs> makes these podcasts so much fun. Is because I learn a lot. So, uh, what language would you do that in, or what language did you write that in? All browsers run on JavaScript. Okay, so you open up JavaScript, 
And I assume one of the first things you have to do is like link it to the website that you're going to use, right? You've got to write something that says connect to this website. Is that yeah. is that how you get started? Let, let me let me explain it and see if it makes sense. Um, it, it's it's like that, but the idea is you need a place to write code first and foremost. So you download what's called a text editor, and yeah. it's just kind of like Notepad, um, but more sophisticated. Um, so what you would do is you would do some research first. You'd type in how do I develop a Chrome extension in the browser, find a YouTube video, or find the documentation on Google. And you'll find out that your your Chrome browser, if you click the three dots in the top right, yep, you can go see the extensions. And um, there's like this load developer mode or something. I can't remember what it says. But if you enable it, it allows you to just upload a folder from your computer into your browser. And okay. so you figure out that that's there. And then what you would do is you would go add a folder anywhere on your computer and you would follow the steps that are in the video or, or in the documentation. And for Chrome extensions, it's really simple. You need a file that's called manifest.json. And it's like a .txt thing. It's just the end of the file. Yep. Manifest.json. And that's just a file where you describe what your app does and what permissions it needs on your browser. And you tell it what other files to use to change the web page. So you'd say, okay, well, I'm going to make a file in this folder called make my web page red.js. And that .js means JavaScript. Mm -hmm. So you make that JavaScript file, you write little bits of code that will change your, your web page's background to red. And then you just go to your browser and say, upload this folder. And then all of a sudden you have a Chrome extension in your browser and it changes all of your web pages red. <laughs> all right. it's, a, it's a trivial example, but that's what you would do. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you have another example? Maybe not a Chrome extension, but uh, a website. Let's just go to a website because that's what people want to learn most about, I would imagine, is how do people build a website? So, you know, when you're working on folks' websites, um, front end or back end, you have to access, um, you know, the website code. And I, you know, as you mentioned, that's also through JavaScript, right? So you've got, you, you open up the JavaScript and you just start writing bits and pieces of it and refreshing it as you go and seeing the changes. Uh, I assume that's pretty simplistic, but is that is that basically how it works? That's a really good explanation, actually. <laughs> um, one thing to add, if anyone has ever put up a website before, like a WordPress one or, or anything, Which, you'll know that you yeah. have to pay for something called hosting. Yep, yep. And what that means is there's a special connection that allows people to be able to see your actual website. And those agencies will will do that for you. They'll, they'll allow people to see your website. Um, you could actually run a website off of your computer, 
but your computer, when you close it, it turns off. And so your website would turn off. The websites that they run, they would have a computer running all the time for you. Um, but the when I go in to develop these websites for my work, your computer has the ability to put up a website that only you can see. It's called local host. Right. And so it's local to just you, just your computer. And that's what developers work on all day is they work on just their computer. And then when they've got it just as they want it, they will take those changes that they made in their code and they'll send it to the actual hosting site to see if it shows up the same on their computer. Yeah, I mean, you you can save it to your computer and it it's like working on any sort of document or, or spreadsheet or, or anything. You, you work on it, you work on it, you work on it before you actually send it out and make it live. Hey, so, so Mitchell, do you ever go to a website and think, oh man, that's an awesome website. I don't know how to do that. Or do you think, oh yeah, I, I could make any website out there. Uh, it would take me some time. I could research it, but I could, I could basically do anything. The, the latter, the second one, <laughs> I, I go to websites and my wife laughs at me because the first thing I do when I go to a website, if I see something wrong or I see something interesting, I right click the page and there's an inspect button and I will inspect that page's code because you can see all of the code on that page. And um, so that's the first thing I do is if I see something interesting, I think, oh, I wonder how they did that. I bet it's like this. And then I'll go check. Sometimes it's more complicated than others, but with a little bit of digging, you can typically find out how it's built. Um, so that's that's interesting. And I, I've known about that. But at the same time, it kind of feels like you do all your work and then it's public. Like it yeah. didn't, like anybody can just take it and use it. D is that the case or is everything just so personalized and unique that it, it's irrelevant that it's public information? It, it depends. Um, the back end code, no one can ever see that. So oh, you okay. can see how the web page works, how the the beautiful pictures show up or how the animations are happening, but you cannot see how they're getting their data or what they're doing to, to convert your, your voice into text or things like that. Right. That all happens in the back end. Okay. That makes so, sense. Yeah. You can't, you can't steal everything. You can figure out how they design things. Uh, and actually one thing I love to do is, you can pick through what data is coming into their web page. So if they load their web page, they're probably pulling data from a database they have somewhere in their backend, um, somewhere in the world on a computer. <laughs> and you can see it coming into the web page if you, if you know how to find it. And so like an example, in college, I, I recreated a, Chrome extension that I really liked that would allow me to see a rate my professor rating while I was choosing my professors for college classes. I could get information about them from a different website. And the way I got that information is I went to the website, I dug into it a little bit, 
and I found out what URL they were going to to get all of that data. And I just went to the URL myself and I got all their data. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's tricky. Huh. It's it's easier than you would think. There are ways to get around it and more sophisticated apps will will prevent it uh, or limit it. But um, most websites you can do something similar with. Huh. Okay. So I want to ask a, a little bit about kind of this backend side of things. And you, you keep mentioning how websites pull data from different places. Um, what kind of data, I guess, are you talking about? Or, or what, what do you mean they're connected to a database somewhere? Um, and and give, maybe give me a couple of examples of, of websites that pull from, I don't know, some database that is, is all mysterious to me. You've heard of real-time updates. Maybe... Yeah. It has like a weather like, channel. Yeah, it has a number like the the weather for that day, um, and it changes while you're looking at it. Yeah. So what's happening there is there is some JavaScript code in your browser that says, "Oh, it's been ten seconds. Let's go to a different URL and let's get the latest weather." And so what it does is behind the scene, it types in a URL and presses enter and it goes to a URL, but that URL doesn't give you a web page. It gives you data. There are URLs that give you data instead of web pages and they're called backend endpoints. Um, and some people will call them APIs. It depends on their, their use and their function. But that's what's happening is your front end is like, oh, it's been 10 seconds or, oh, the back end sent me a message and said, I've got new data and things like that. It, there's a communication between two different folders of code on different computers and they're talking to each other while you are scrolling through a website. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So for anything that that has real-time data, there's a lot of the back-end side of the coding. Um, yeah. Are there are there many websites, maybe you could give me an example, that, that don't have a lot of that real-time updating? Like, yeah. are, you know, are the majority of websites that way, or are, do the majority have a lot of that sort of integrated into the back-end? Yeah, I'm going to give you a one-minute history of the web real quick. <laughs> All right. Um, all websites had a backend. You you could not show a user like the the beautiful stuff, the the UI, the user interface, mm -hmm. without a backend. Until recently, uh, recently, something that's become very popular is called a single page application, or SPA, as they call it in the dev world, and. It has, it's just front end code and you can put it on Amazon servers. They have servers or, or there's, a, there's a lot of places you can put it, but you put it on their computer and they just run it for you. You have no communication with a backend, um, but it is kind of a, a misnomer that it's, that it has no backend because you have to have a backend to host your 
user interface. And I know it's a lot of technical words and, and not a great explanation, but um, all websites are hosted by a backend. Right. But some don't need to communicate with the backend ever. Right. And those websites have become popular nowadays. Those are your splash pages. Those are your um, do-it-yourself websites. Right. Like I have a website for this podcast. It's, you know, podcastpage.io slash what's your career. And, yeah. you know, I, it automatically pulls my new episodes from where I host the podcasts. Um, but other than that, I don't really touch the website. It just kind of sits there. It doesn't pull anything new except when I upload a new podcast and then it pulls from the, you know, the hosting website. But other than that, it's pretty static. Like mm -hmm. there's not a lot of change. And I'm sure there's a lot of websites like blogs and people's personal things and little sales pages. Uh, you know, if they host a little shop, Etsy shop or something, I'm sure Etsy has all sorts of backend stuff, but the actual page itself where they sell things or they you know, show pictures of themselves or blog or whatever. That's all very front end heavy. And there's not a lot of, you know, back end to it. If I'm understanding you right. I, I think you'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> Probably. I think most websites have a lot of back end. There has been a shift though, where a lot of the work is done on the front end now, instead of the back end. The issue with that is that people can dig through your code on the front end and they can steal your secrets if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. So everybody needs a back end so that they can keep their proprietary information secret. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, that's enough about the technical details. Uh, I'd love to learn more and I'm sure we could chat for another hour about how all this stuff works, but, but I think that's good for now. Uh, before we head to the end, I, I want to ask you about the consulting side of things and what your company is like. What, you know, why did you decide to join a consulting company versus, you know, being a developer for Amazon and what are some of the key differences there? Yeah. Um, I was uh, blessed to have a lot of experience while I was in school. And so I did have a lot of options to choose from for jobs. And I ended up choosing Pariveda because one, their mission is to develop you to your fullest. It was very much like focused on me becoming the best I could be. And I thought it would be a great way to start a career, kind of like a jump start to to figure out more what I want to do. There are a million directions you can go when you've learned how to develop software, when you've learned to code in any capacity. There's just endless opportunities. And so I thought it would be a great jump start to my career. I knew very little about consulting itself, but I love the idea of going into a different company every three months, six months, year, and learning new technologies and helping them solve new problems. It would give me a great overview of different industries, and it would ultimately help me to become, I think, a better entrepreneur in the future. That's what I was thinking. The other part of it that's really unique is Pariveda has a completely transparent pay scale and a really, really structured growth platform. 
And to, to go into that a little bit. Yeah. You, you start out at $80,000. That's what you start out as a software developer. Every single year you go up for promotion at the same time each year. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're going to get promoted or not, because there is something called the expectations framework. And it's just this big Excel document <laughs> that, um, tells you you're at this level to get to the next level up, you need to be able to do these things competently. And so it'll have things regarding professionalism, being an advisor to people and helping them with their problems, being a mentor, player coach is one of them, Hmm. Um, architect is another. So it helps you build professionally, helps you build as an advisor and as a software developer. And it's just incredibly explicit. Um, and so I talked to a ton of people at Pariveda that I knew and asked them, like, where are you at on on this scale? Have you been promoted every year? And with the exception of maybe one person, all of them said, yeah, um, I've been promoted every year and, and I know that I'm going to get promoted. The promotions, too, are incredible. Um, if there's, there's different levels within different cohorts. <laughs> and that's yeah. that's confusing. But for example, I'm a consultant is my cohort. And there's a consultant one and a consultant two. You get promoted from consultant one to consultant two. Yep. And that is a 10% raise to your salary. Then the next promotion brings you to a new cohort called associate. And there's an associate one and associate two. The jump from consultant two to associate one is a 20% raise. And so every year you're getting either a 10% or a 20% raise. And you can pretty much map out my next five years looks like this. The other cool thing about that is each cohort has different responsibilities. So once you move from consultant to associate, you're more of a senior developer that um, manages the team. When you move from associate to the next level, which is manager, you're the one that's interacting with the client and writing up the documents that um, explain what work you're going to do. And you, you ideate with them and figure out what work you're going to accomplish for them and how much you're going to charge. And, and you do a lot more of the business stuff. Um, if people don't want yeah. to, they, they tend to leave the company at that jump. I mean, there's a lot who stay too. And whenever someone leaves the company, there's a celebration party because the company has helped them grow and everyone's excited for their new opportunity. It's, it's the most welcoming and friendly culture I've ever been in. And they really just care about your growth. Obviously they need to, to make money, but the way they make money is by helping you to be the best you can be. And then you help your clients. Absolutely. How many, how many people are at your company? Yeah, it's, I think it's about 750 right now. Um, okay. As with all companies, I think there's been a lot of attrition lately because of, I mean, the tech world is suffering it everywhere because post-pandemic, everybody is making life changes. But, right. And then the other question is, as a consultant, you know, I'm a consultant as well. And a lot of emphasis is placed on being billable. We bill our time to our clients. So every hour 
or half hour we work on a on a specific project we bill our time to that project is that a big emphasis for yeah. you as well as a consultant to to bill a high amount of hours each week uh it's capped at 40 our company will not let us bill more than 40 hours if you do you're talked to by your managers and if there was a legitimate reason like you're on a you have to get the website out this week kind of a thing there are exceptions but it's very rare so you have 40 hours of billable work and then typically two to five hours of internal pariveta work to do so it's never more than 45 hours and if it is people start worrying about you and talking to you <laughs> okay that's great so this seems like an ideal role for you because you want to be not only tech savvy and you know know a little bit about everything from from the software development side of things but you also want to learn business and you want to run your own business at some point and be your own boss uh, yeah. as you've said a couple of times so uh sounds like you'll be sticking with this company for a while because you'll want to get that business uh, acumen and that experience in a leadership role so that's awesome good to hear yeah, it's a good company. Um, I've had offers at other companies for more money, which I have turned down uh, since I started. And the reason is because I feel like this is the place where I'm going to grow into the person I want to be. That being said, I think there's plenty of opportunities out there that could help me. And I don't really close the door to those opportunities. I just, I, I see the great growth that I can have here and I, I want it at least for the, the foreseeable future, at least a year into the future, right? Yeah. Well, excellent. I'm glad you're happy with that, and I'm glad it's working out for you. And and the, the growth, the pay growth is awesome. I mean, it, it's nice to have a structure, uh, yeah. you know, and to have some expectations, and you know what you need to accomplish in order to get that bump uh, in the next year and things like that. So awesome. Well done. Thank um, you. So let's pan out a little bit. Let's start to wrap things up. And, you know, tell me a little bit about why you got into software development. What what attracted you to it and why do you enjoy it so much? Yeah. Um, when I first started college, I was working in the, the dish room at the like main cafeteria that had like five different fast food chains <laughs> leading to it. So I was I was working dish room and I was flipping burgers occasionally and Friday nights I'd work the night shift and get done at 3 a.m. And, and I'd go home and talk to my roommates and all of my roommates were web developers <laughs> and they were making two to three times as much as I was in college as college students. They were making 15 to $20 an hour and that just blew my mind as a college student because I was making seven twenty-five an hour. Yep. And so I saw that and I thought, maybe I should learn something about this coding thing. And I had no background. So I took a intro to computer science class and I loved it. I, I didn't understand it very well, but I did well in the class. It was fun to learn how to make the computer work for me. And I, I just kind of loved it. And so then the next semester, or maybe the one after that, I decided to take a web development class specifically. It was really hard. And I, I interviewed for jobs afterwards 
And after maybe seven or eight interviews, I found a job that would take me and I started making $15 an hour. And that was after two classes. Um, that's where it started. I was still an international relations major at that point because I had lived in Japan for a while and I wanted to, to be the ambassador for Japan or something like that. Um, but I found myself coding for fun at nighttime, late into the night, trying to build things that I thought were cool, that I thought was cool. And, um, yeah, I, I just realized after a while, if I'm doing this in my spare time for fun, why don't I just change my major? But I still really cared about being business savvy and people savvy. And so I, I went to the information systems program and it was perfect. The information systems program at BYU is extremely technical, but you also get the business out of it too. Um, I guess one more thing is I, I had kind of a, I guess you could call it a spiritual experience where I was, I was in a, a temple for my church and I just kind of, I don't know. I, I felt like God wanted me to, to go down that path. It, it was a really unique and special experience and I won't say much about it, but I felt like God was pointing me in that direction. Well, that's awesome. And you know, you're doing something right. If you find yourself doing it for fun, right? Uh, yeah. If if you're at home playing with websites and looking at the code and trying to type something up and see if it works, I mean that to me is is a sign that you know that's what you should do for your career. You should do what you love. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you figured that out. And not only that, but you you felt like God is on your side and supporting you in that decision. And that's that's awesome. Uh, that's what everybody should be after. Uh, I believe everybody should find what their true passion is and somehow find a way to make a good living out of that. Because if you're passionate about something and you're good at it, you'll find a way to make a lot of money. It's people that don't have passion and don't want to learn, don't want to grow. Those are the people that get stagnated in their career. They don't earn a lot of money because they're not working hard. They don't like what they do. And so I have no doubt that you'll go a long way with your career and you'll learn to make a bunch of money and you'll you know, bless the lives of many other people along the way as you do so. Mm. Um, and, and speaking of other people and... Uh, you, know, you know, that's what this podcast is all about, is about reaching out to other people to let them know what you, the interviewee, loves about their job. And I'm sure there are people listening to this that want to get into software development and that want to break into the tech industry. What advice would you give for them, whether they're 18 years old and graduating high school or whether they're 35 and need a career change and want to get into tech? What would be some advice that you would provide to them? Yeah, I'm going to take this in two different directions. I, I think the first is a comment on um, when you when you get to where you want. When I when I started software, there's always another goal on the horizon, and it's easy to to decide you're not happy. Um, but it's good to look back and um, and realize how you've been blessed. Um, switching now to advice for getting into the tech industry. You just need to start. <laughs> once, 
what I would do is I would find a free um, coding tutorial that you can follow. If you like YouTube, go YouTube. One that a lot of people like and I, I think is great. Um, it's called freecodecamp.com. I think it's .com, might be .org. But if you just type free code camp into your browser, you'll find it. They've got incredible amounts of, of tutorials for you to go through, but they're hands-on. They have you code and they teach you as you code. And it's all free. It's a, it's a really great resource. So I would start there, see if you like coding and just do it a little bit at a time. And if you find yourself fascinated, interested, then do a little bit more. And if you're really serious about getting a job, then I think you need to either join a group that's going to help you do that, like a boot camp, or take a college class or follow tutorials that, that claim to help you get a job um, and really go hard on those things. Really work hard to understand. It's going to be incredibly frustrating at first because it's so different from from what you'd been doing before. But if you keep at it, things just start to make sense over time. You have to let your mind mull it over. You have to give your mind enough experience to, to keep going with it. So yeah, get started now. See if you have a fancy for it. And then know that realistically in six months to a year, if you were focusing hard on it, you could get a job making sixty to $80,000 starting out um, with only growth potential from there as you learn more. Yeah, awesome. Well, so what are what are the characteristics of the people that that you find yourself interacting with in the tech industry and in development and coding? Yeah, uh, the reason I chose my job is because their characteristics are friendly, incredibly welcoming. Um, they know you don't know what you're talking about right at first because nobody knows what they're talking about right at first. You go into a client and they give you requirements and you know you can do them, but you don't know how to do them yet. Nobody knows what they're doing at the start. And that's the same for any project you work on. You think, oh, I could probably do that. And so your characteristics would have to be someone that's willing to learn, willing to move forward, even though you don't know the answer yet, and willing to admit that. Um, in other jobs I've been in, Sometimes there's more reserved people that really just want to stick to what they're good at and kind of stick to themselves. It depends on the company. But most people I've met are incredibly friendly and they've been there. So they're going to help you out and, and welcome you into, into the fold. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. That's great. And it, you know, it goes without saying, but you've got to be somebody who wants to be on a computer. Right, somebody who's who likes to be at a desk, who wants to be typing, who wants to be a, you know, at a desk essentially. Um, and it sounds like there's a lot of great perks to to the industry, and of course there are, um, but there are those certain people who who can't sit down for eight hours a day, and they need to get up and move and do something yeah. on their feet. Um, so uh, you know, if you're that person, obviously sitting on a computer and programming is not for you, but yeah, but yeah, thanks for sharing all of that. Um, is there anything else you'd like to kind of conclude with before we wrap it up? Um, try it out. You know, I, I really think everyone would like coding <laughs> because it's, 
you don't even have to get a job in coding. If you learn a little bit more about how the web works, you can start changing how it works for you. Coding is a tool. It's not, I mean, some people treat it as a religion or, or an, like this special knowledge. It, it's a tool that you build up and you can use it in, in any job. <laughs> you can use it anywhere. So even if you're not going to use it for a full-time job, I would encourage people to dabble in it and just, just try to understand it because you'll find yourself fascinated. And even if you don't think you're a desk job kind of person, you may be more attracted than you think. <laughs> well, all right. I'll take your advice. I think you're a little biased because you love the stuff, but maybe you're right. And and you're you're definitely right to at least some degree. Um <laughs> I I play I play on a computer all day long and I work with different softwares, not on the development side, but um Anyway, yeah, I've never really been that interested in, in learning how things work. But I think deep down, I think you're right. There is some piece of me that's like, man, that would be cool to be able to, to figure out how this works and to play with it and alter it and whatnot. So yeah, uh, I will take your advice um, and I'll try to dabble around, see what I can learn about how uh, websites and you know software actually works. So, well, Mitchell, it's been great to have you on the podcast, and I appreciate your time this evening. If somebody would like to reach out to you, and if they've got more questions, uh, would you be willing to talk to them? And if so, how could they reach out to you? Absolutely. Um, the best way would be LinkedIn. All right. Well, thank you for joining me tonight. Good to talk. Thanks, Michael.